here. Oh, boy, and I wanted to share this with, with everyone, but uh, I think maybe Justin will be able to point a camera when I get ready to show something on the screen. I have a little PowerPoint that I want to show you guys here shortly. So let's just pray as we get be, as we begin. We won't be before you long because we have a long weekend or service tomorrow. Uh, dear Lord, we just thank you for this time together. And Lord, as we begin our prayer, we once again want to just ask you for your blessings and healing for our brother coach, Lord, who's at Metro on West 25th today. We just know that you are in charge. Whatever the healthcare professionals are suggesting, Lord, we know that you are the great physician. You are Jehovah Rapha, our healer. And we just ask, Lord, that you would send your word according to Psalms 120, verse 7, that you will, 107, 20, rather, you'd send your, your word, Lord, to heal our diseases and deliver us from our many destructions because that's your promise, Lord, and we stand firm on that, knowing, Lord, that you can do all things but fail. We thank you and we ask you, Lord, to be glorified in this service this morning. May your people be edified. May we lift up your name, learn from your word, and live your word daily. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we're plowing through, as we're plowing through the Sermon on the Mount, let me just say this. Let me say this about the Sermon on the Mount. This is, um, this is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture in, in, all of, in all of the Bible. It's only three chapters. It's only three chapters, but they're just so compressed and they're so radical. Listen to this. The Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount was probably one of the most amazing speeches monologues that the first century believers and Jews had ever heard. Listen to this. Listen to this. This will be astonishing to you. And in, in, in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus was finished teaching, when Jesus was finished preaching, the people around him did this. Watch this, guys. Matthew 7, verse 28 says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were, wait for it, the crowds were astonished. Another translation says amazed. I found the Amplified Version says they were overwhelmed. The New Revised Standard Version said they were astounded. And the Contemporary English Version said they were surprised. Can you believe these words? And I found, I found, Rod, I found the Aramaic version of the Bible. I know you guys probably say, dude, you got too much time. I, I really don't. I really don't. I just, the time that I have, I try to make the best of it. I found this Aramaic version of the Bible that said, and when, they, when Jesus was finished with these sayings, the crowds were marveling. And then one more that says, um, the New English version says, and the crowds were in admiration at his teaching. So look at that. Let me review. They were blown away. They were astonished, amazed, overwhelmed, astounded, surprised, marveled, and admiring his teaching. And here's the reason why, ladies and gentlemen, because in verse 29, when Jesus taught, it says, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And let me tell you how the scribes, and by the way, Maria has some Jewish friends. I have some Jewish friends. Here's how Jews teach even today. 
what they do is they walk around and they cite and they quote other rabbis. They quote other Jewish historians and authors. Nothing, nothing really original. They're quoting what other guys are saying. So there's no authority. They're just giving information. Sister Rose Royale, they're just giving out information, data. There's no power. There's no authority behind it. There's no word behind it unless they're directly quoting scripture. And then I would add, is there is the Holy Spirit inspiring them to do so? Because the word authority, as I looked up in the Greek, and by the way, they didn't just speak Greek. There were two types of Greeks. There was a formal Greek language that was primarily used by the aristocracy and the educated people. And it was used by, primarily for writing, teaching, for the philosophers, the poets. A lot of the instructors would use a certain higher level of Greek. And then the common level of Greek, which is where the New Testament comes in, was called the Koine Greek. The common Greek, they used a different vernacular or they had a different vocabulary for the words. In other words, they would use the same words, but they have a different meaning. You know how we have slang, we have Ebonics, we have urban speak, we have different, we're using the same words, but they have different meanings, okay? A word in East St. Louis might be different than a word in Upper State Connecticut. Same word might be the same word, but may have a different meaning in Connecticut than it might have in East St. Louis. Well, they use the word authority here in scripture in verse 20, 29, but it means truth, power, conviction. When Jesus spoke, he spoke with truth. He said, my word is truth. Thy word is truth in John 17, when he was talking to the father in the great high priestly prayer. It has authority. It has conviction, it has power, it makes a difference when we hear God's word. And so when Jesus was speaking, the people were under conviction. They were being moved, they were being challenged, they were being tried. He was busting up their normal comfort zones. And he was a radical to them. He was just blowing stuff up. He was a bull in the proverbial china shop, just messing up all their beliefs, their systems, the things that they hold sacrosanct, things that they believed in with all their heart. Jesus was just blowing it up. He said, you Pharisees and you scribes, he just got nasty. He said, you're just like whitewashed tombs. You're like bones, like dead men's bones. You stink, you're horrible. What you do to the widows, what you do to the elderly, how you overtax the people, how you're such hypocrites. You fast and you don't wash your face. You pray out in the street corner so everybody can hear you. All you do is for public consumption. And Jesus said, it stinks. You think I'm making this up? Read Matthew 23. He spends the entire chapter just, just tearing them down. And he wasn't being mean. He was being honest. The people were just blown away. Matthew 13, 30, 54 says, where did this man get his wisdom in these mighty works? They said, isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? This dude is a carpenter. He sounds like a philosopher. Where did he get this education from? We know he ain't went to school. That's what they were saying. I'm paraphrasing. His teachings were radical, but they weren't out of the blue because they should have known these things. That's why Jesus was so scathingly upset with Nicodemus when he came to him in John 3. When he came to him by night, he said, you're a teacher of the Jews and you don't know what it means to be born again? What, what are you teaching then? 
Where is the power? Where is the transformative power? If you don't understand the basic principle of conversion, being born again, being converted, being a, becoming a believer, how can you, what are you teaching? How do you not know this when you call yourself a rabbi? And by the way, he wasn't just a rabbi, Nicodemus. He wasn't just your regular run-of-the-mill teacher. He wasn't, you know, uh, doing, doing um, paratraining teaching. This dude was a member of the prestigious, exclusive Sanhedrin court. He was of one of the highest teachers there were. His rank was unparalleled. There was only 70 of these cats. In all of Jerusalem, millions of people, 70 members of the Sanhedrin court. Nicodemus was one and he didn't understand the concept of salvation. Wow, doesn't that, isn't that a little sobering? How many of us, I wonder, have been just going through our lives thinking that we understand Christianity, thinking that we understand Jesus, thinking that we understand salvation, thinking that we understand the Bible, and we're just marking time. We have no clue, some of us. Not you guys, because y'all been coming here. Y'all better know something. You stand before the Lord and say, okay, let me give you a quiz. And y'all better think about these one-word raps. <laughs> don't, don't get up in heaven and embarrass me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can say, Lord, say, wait a minute, what church did you go to? I went to Believers over in Euclid. Boy, you didn't get taught very well. And so don't, don't, don't embarrass me because I have to, I have to give an account for you guys. All right. So I, I love that. I'm just, I'm just messing with you, but I, I do, I did put something in my notes that I want to emphasize that this whole chapters five, six, and seven of Matthew was Jesus blowing up their methods and their motives. That's not only what they did in terms of their religious expression, but why they did it. Jesus attacked their worship. He attacked how they forgave each other or lack thereof. He attacked their offerings. He attacked how they would pray. He attacked how they would even fast. He went after every religious artifact, every religious practice in their religion. Jesus took a shot at it because he said, you're hypocrites. Boy, don't let that be true of us, right? Don't do it if you ain't for real. Don't get in if you're not for real. If you're not going to do it for keeps, don't do it at all. It's better not to bow, the Bible says, in the bow and not pay, right? So here's the heart of my lesson this morning, which is on that same vein. In Matthew chapter 7, here's what it says. Verse 21, Matthew 7. Did you guys get notes? You should have gotten notes by email, and I brought some today, too. Here's what it says in Matthew. If you don't have your Bible, you can just read it right off the sheet. Matthew 7, 21, the New American Standard says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus is really getting. See, let me just say this. If Jesus was teaching this sermon today or going around talking to people about this, here's what our response would be in 2022. Dude, you can't judge me. You're judging me. Who are you? How, how you gonna, who are you? How are you holier than thou? You can't. If he was just a regular person, y'all didn't know he was Jesus. If I went around here saying, you can't judge me. So what you, Pastor Will? You ain't God. You ain't perfect. When y'all say that, I know. Yeah, I'm, I, I know you're saying, oh, Pastor Will, we'd never say that to you. Yeah, y'all would. You would say it. You'd say, you'd, you'd say it to somebody. You can't judge me. You, how do you know how I feel? And guess what? Jesus went right after their motives. He said, no, I am judging you. You're hypocrites. You're saying, Lord, Lord. 
and your heart is far from it. You're saying, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord, didn't we not cast out demons in your name? Lord, Lord, did we not perform many miracles in your name? That and the Lord is going to say, no, you didn't. Because the expression in your name means with my authority, with my permission, with my consent, under my auspices. And the answer is no, you didn't do that. You guys were just doing what you wanted to do to look good in front of the people. That's what Jesus attacked them for. That's hypocrisy 101. Said, no, I never knew you. That is, I never approved it. And depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He even called their religion lawlessness, fake, phony, phony baloney. I love what Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 12. I'm just going to say these rapid form fashion. You don't have to write them down. If they're not in your notes, I'll send it to you. I told you guys that I have a set of notes that I send y'all on Thursday. And then I have the real notes that I use on Sunday. <laughs> Remember that episode of Seinfeld where he said, yeah, see these doctors out here are giving out these pills and they give you guys the placebos. These are the fake pills. And then they keep the good stuff for their paying patients. Say, so, yeah, yeah, the real stuff and y'all get the phony stuff. Well, I ain't doing that. But I do have a set of notes that I sent out on Thursday so you guys have a little bit of time to get familiar with what the sermon's going to be about. But then I'm still studying and praying and seeking the Lord between Thursday and Sunday. So there will be some additions. There will be some edits. There will be some annotations that won't be on the original notes. And I've said before, if you would like a copy of the notes that I speak from, I'll be glad to give you a set of that. But there will be things that have been added. And this might be one of them. Proverbs 30, verse 12 says there is a generation that are pure in their own eyes. The King James Version says, amen, if you were here, uh, pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Isn't that good? Did you guys ever read that before? Proverbs 30, verse 12, King James Version. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Romans 10, 2 says it this way. Romans 10, 2 says, For I bear record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. We know that one by heart, don't we? They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. That is, not according to God's word. Isaiah 64, 6 we all have heard this. You may not have known where it was at, but it says that our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. In other words, it doesn't count because it's unclean, it's uncertified, it's unqualified. If it's not from a heart of gold, from a heart of God, if it's not from a converted soul, then our righteousness is ineligible with God. It's like the track guy that jumped the gun. He was disqualified. Four years of preparation for the Olympics. Gone in a split second because he jumped the gun and disqualified himself from the race. Don't do that. Amen? Don't do that. There's just some great things about God's word. And one of them is that we don't have to be phony. We can be real. We can be genuine. These guys were teaching the people and they were disingenuous. They were phony, they were phony balonies. They weren't putting things together right and they weren't doing what they needed to do and they knew it and God knew it. You could see one thing on the surface, but below the surface, these guys were rotten. You got, 
Let me ask you this. I know we're I know we're recording. We're all, we're done with one word rap. But just tell me one 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 word. They won't be able to hear you, but I'll repeat it. Just here in the audience, give me one word that you can tell me that you know about an iceberg. Just say one word. When I say iceberg, that's that big rock in the ocean. When I say iceberg, what do you think of? One word. Coal, Titanic, anyone else? One word. Sinking, sinking, right. Um, hey, Justin, can you come over here for a minute, please? Can you just put, I have a, a Layla, you might be able to do, I have a, a little PowerPoint. It's called Iceberg. It's on the uh, desktop. Can you put it up? And then you got the chain screens from the words. I, I was I was looking at this National Geographic page on the internet and I saw these icebergs. Have you guys ever read about an iceberg in science class, history, geography, physics? I, I mean, if nothing else, you've seen Titanic. I mean, it was on for six hours, the longest movie in history. I mean, the movie was so long, I had to go to the restroom three times. It's a horrible movie, no, I'm just kidding. But the movie was long. I, I do remember when, I, when we saw it at the theater that they did, I don't know if they did it at you guys' theater, but when we went to the theater, uh, they had an intermission. You remember that? In the old days, they used to have that quite often. Remember that? Anybody? Don't act like y'all never, you know. Okay, if you 13, you may not have heard of an intermission, but the rest of us, <laughs> oh, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it, although that's a really, really good, okay, that's it, very good. Let me just ask you guys something, let me ask you guys something, how many of you took my media audit a couple of weeks ago? See, I wasn't here last week, and Reg was nice to y'all, Reg didn't say, hey, brother, Will gave y'all some past, some homework, where is it? Had I been here, I would have said, give it up. I would have started calling people up, come on up front in front of the mic and tell us what you did last week. But I, I didn't do that. Reg didn't do that. So did you all do the assignment? Okay, that's all right. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. I'm like one of those teachers where when you flunk it, you don't move on. You have to keep repeating it. You get it. So we'll do it again. Okay, so check this out. Check this out real quick. This is my last point before the sermon is over. Here's an iceberg. By the way, I did some fun fact research on icebergs because I wanted to make this in the sermon. Did you know that most icebergs are in the Greenland area in the North Atlantic Ocean and frigid waters very, very far north. Not a whole lot of icebergs. You're not going to see any icebergs floating around uh, the Lake Erie. Okay. These things are humongous, like two to 300 metric tons. They're as tall as a 15-story building from top to bottom. These things are massive. They're mountains. They're floating mountains. I read one statistic that said if a typical iceberg melted, there would be enough. Icebergs, by the way, are just made of water, snow, and driven by winds. They're, they're, they're made of fresh water. They're not salt water. You can literally drink the water that would melt from an iceberg. It said that an iceberg melted, it would, there would be enough there will be enough water in the iceberg to serve everyone in a country a liter of water for a year. These things are these things are huge, massive. Now here's the trick, though. If you see an iceberg, and hopefully none of us will never see an iceberg, because you know you have to be on a cruise up in the northern Atlantic to see one. Typically, if you saw one of these things, what I read is that only about 10% of an iceberg is actually exposed above water. 
So Lynn, if you go back to the first slide, okay, this one right here, I wanted to show you this. These, these are actual pictures of icebergs. This is what you would see if you were in a boat. No wonder the Titanic sunk. Here is the part below. I've read that these edges here are so sharp that they have the ability to cut through a steel hull. They can crumble the hull of a boat. They can dent it. They can destroy it. So it's really sharp. It's really amazing. Thanks, Justin, for doing that because I, I meant to put it on. Sorry, guys at home. I meant to put it on the Zoom computer so that you guys could see it while we're seeing it so it would be a little more meaningful. But Justin thought of uh, using his camera to put it on. So let me just tell you, I'm almost done with this iceberg thing. These icebergs, this is 90% of the iceberg. Like I said, it weighs several hundred metric tons, thousands and thousands of pounds. It's, it's an underground floating mountain. Say, Pastor Will, where do icebergs come from? They come from ice that have broken off of glaciers or have accumulated from shore, have just been dislodged from a particular area by wind and waves and currents. And so they get out in the ocean and you see this little... You see this little thing, you say, oh, it's nothing. Hence the term, that's just the tip of the iceberg. The damage is below. Show me the next slide. And just to give you a little point of reference, I put this slide in here just to show you. Look at this thing. Look at that mass. Can you imagine hitting that in a, in a ship going at a certain speed? It's going to just blow it up. The next one, please. I put this on there to show you maybe what the Titanic looked like and maybe Maybe what the Titanic saw was possibly this, even though they have sonar, underwater radar, to be able to know if there's a mass there. But look, by the time you get to this, you've already hit this. You're a goner right here. And one more, just to give you some uh, point of reference. I wanted to show you this diver. And look at this mass down here of ice. This is what's above. This is what he's looking at. Thank you very much. You say, well, Pastor Will, what on earth, where are you going with this, and what does that have to do with the Sermon on the Mount? Here's what it has to do with the Sermon on the Mount. Our problem is, go back to the earlier slide, Layla, the first one, please. Our problem is most people are living like this. They show you this is what we see. This is what God sees. We see the surface we live on the surface. We live a shallow life. But God is looking at the heart. Remember when Jesse marched his seven sons up in front of Samuel to choose a prospective king of Israel? That's over in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The reason I know that by heart is because I looked at it this week. And I also thought about my dear beloved Pat Thompson, whose favorite book of the Bible is 2 Samuel. And so, I, and Pat, if you're listening, I love you, girl. I just don't know nobody that's in love with 2 Samuel but you. So in your honor, in your honor, Pat Thompson, in your honor, I have been going back and reading 2 Samuel just, <laughs> just so I can find out where exactly the intrigue is. But I love it. I love it. But at any rate, so, so Daniel, I'm sorry, so David was out in the field keeping the sheep, and Samuel said, you know, uh, Jesse, you got any more? Say, yeah, I got one little scrawny guy out there who he had. We have him keep the sheep. Bring him. He said, because God looks at, man looks at the outward appearance, 
but God looks at the heart. Man looks at this, doesn't see much harm, but God looks at what's beneath the surface, the black heart, the hatred, motives that are not pure, the anger, the unforgiveness, the rage, the, 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 the lust, the, the uh, temptations, the, the covetousness. God is looking at all of this stuff beneath the surface and saying, you're only addressing what you can see, but you need to expose yourself to God to the stuff that you cannot see. Amen. No, no wonder. Amen. No wonder David wrote in Psalms. So David wrote in Psalms 139, and I, and I think I made a note of it just so that I wouldn't misquote it. They wrote in Psalms 139, "Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Know my thoughts. Lord, expose this part of me to me, so that I'm no longer just addressing this surface stuff." This little teeny weeny stuff, this stuff that looks harmless. Lord, work with me on my heart. My heart is not black. My heart is not evil. That my heart is not wicked. That my motives, that my intentions and my heart are pure and just and righteous before you. Amen. 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 I mean, I just, I just love this. Here's one, one last thing that Jesus said. Jesus said when he was over in John 2, he said when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, John reports this in chapter 2, verse 23. He says, during the Jesus' name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But watch what Jesus said in verse 24. This is this touching me. Jesus said, Jesus, they were believing him from a surface level, here's what Jesus said. On his part, he was not entrusting himself to any of them, for he knew all men. He did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. They were, in, they were connecting with Jesus on a superficial level. They were connecting with Jesus on a, on a surface level. But they weren't yielding, they weren't exposing their heart, and Jesus said, but you're not really all around. You're not really all together. You're not really totally honest. You're not surrendering me everything. You're giving me just 10% of you and you're holding back 90. I can't work with that. I want all of you. God wants all of us. He doesn't want just the part that we give him on Sundays or on Wednesdays, or we throw the Lord a little you know, bone here and say, Lord, here's a few dollars for the offering. Or here, Lord, I'll read my Bible a little bit next Thursday. Or here, Lord, I'll just uh, fast a little bit this time and I'll forget it. The Lord wants all of us. You all with me on that? Lord, when I saw the ice, I said, this is just such a, to me, y'all may not feel it the way I feel it because I feel it very deeply because this thing really touched me this week putting this together. I said, Lord, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be hiding from you and being hypocritical and have this deep darkness inside and showing a smiley face on the top that looks like everything is cool and green. I want to be totally transparent. I want you to have access to all parts of me. I want to be real and genuine on the inside and on the outside. I want to be real and genuine on the surface and below the surface. I want to be real and holy and transparent what, in what people can see and with what God can see. Because y'all can't do nothing to me. You can hurt my body, but you can't hurt my soul. God can take out both of them. Right? The Monday morning moment is, if you're going to call him Lord, Lord, 
if you're going to call him Lord, Lord, you need to be clean above and below the surface. I'll say it again. The Monday morning moment is, if you're going to call him Lord, Lord, you got to be clean beneath and above the surface. You can't call him Lord, Lord, and live a superficial life. Amen? You can't call him Lord, Lord, and just live a surface life and be hypocritical and, 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 and disingenuous in your life and expect God to be uh, honored by it. I love what David says in Psalms 51, 6. He says, Behold, Lord, you desire his truth. You desire his truth, King James Version, in your honor, Rosie. You desire his truth on the inward parts and in the hidden part. That's right. Look it up. Make a note of it. Read it when you get home. Psalms 51, 6. That's when David was confessing of his adultery and his wayward ways with Bathsheba. He said, Lord, I know you want truth. I mean, David apologized to Nathan the prophet who called him out on having sex with the man's wife and then having the man murdered. You know, I'm talking about Uriah. Okay, you, you said you're sorry, you felt bad, you cried. What about God? How does God feel about what you did? David said, Lord, I know you don't want just a superficial apology and tears. You, you, you desire truth and the inward parts. And David didn't stop there. He went on to define that. He said the hidden part, Justin, the hidden part. That's the part that no one can see. That's the part that no one can see. That's, that's where the Lord wants truth to be. Down there beneath the surface, that big hunking mess that we're covering up and concealing. That's what God wants us to expose to him. Say, Lord, here I am. I surrender all. We sing the song, but do we mean the words? Lord, I give you everything. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a also ran. I don't want to be someone that just says, Lord, Lord, have no conviction, no, no salvation, no purity inside. I don't want to just use the words and no Christian vernacular and have a Christian vocabulary. Lord, I want to be real, real. Amen? The Monday morning moment again. If you're going to call him Lord, you need to be clean above and beneath the surface. And First Samuel says that the Lord looks on the heart. Lord, we just thank you for this sermon. We ask you to make us clean and pure above and below the surface. Make our hearts right so that we're not just running around saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we heal and do miracles in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Lord, don't make our spirituality and our faith with you about our works, our efforts, our deeds, our human effort. Lord, make it about what you get from our lives, that we honor you. Make our lives to be about you, about glorifying you honoring you, serving you, obeying you, you, living for you in all that we do, say, and think. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Good service. Amen. 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 I'm going to ask, um, um, Rick wasn't able to make it today, so I'm going to ask um, uh, Bakar if she would also do a, um, a closing hymn for us, but before she does, I'm going to ask if there's anyone that would like prayer. Like prayer uh, before we uh, close the meeting. You'll like prayer this week if you just raise your hand. I'll ask Reg to come around and pray for you. Uh, I don't know if Coach is still online. Let me just see if Coach is still with us online. Um, yep, I see his iPad 33. Okay, great. So we're going to remember Coach. 
Good to see Kevin and Christian there. Um, if, if there's anyone that wants prayer, just raise your hand and we'll pray for you. And uh, we want to make sure that we remember those prayer requests this week uh, in our prayers. So glad to have Lisa back. She's She's been to, I think, Argentina and Central America. But we're just glad to have her back. <laughs> I love you, Lise. So uh, we're, just, we're thankful for the band. We're thankful for you. And um, we're just also thankful if anyone would want prayer, we'll be glad to do so. Sister Julia's going to, well, I thought, maybe not. I thought Sister Julia might be traveling this week, but you're not going to be traveling this week, right, Sister Julia? Right. And we pray for your brother. We, we mentioned your brother in our prayer, Sister Julia. Uh, we mentioned um, Sister uh, Wilma Wade, who's really struggling with this situation. Remember Wilma. Remember Wilma, if you you guys will, please. We love her, and we just believe that she, the Lord's going to give her a full recovery, and I'm just trusting in him uh, towards that end. Amen. Remember Chris and his family, Barb Ray's family. Of course, we, we talked about that earlier today, and we we're praying for the Ray family and uh, for Sister uh, Barb's ongoing tomorrow service, and we're praying for Chris and the family that survives, Chris' dad, and others that God will bless them, strengthen them, and comfort them. Amen? That he will just be there for them. And all, all others that may be grieving uh, during this time, we're asking for God's blessings on them. Good to see my brother, Charlie Bell. Just remember Charlie in your prayer. Charlie's going through some things uh, that he could use our prayers as well. So remember Charlie in your prayers. Remember the families that are missing in action, as we mentioned before, that God will have mercy on them. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Good to see you, Greg Baker, Donnie Elliott. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Sister Picard and then Sister Marie will do our doxology. And I just want to just thank the Lord while Picard is coming. I just want to thank the Lord for, for those of you that carried on the service last week in our absence. Brother Coach was our coordinator, moderator, and uh, Elder Reg gave a great word. Marcus and Gloria took care of our technology uh, remotely. Just so blessed to have so many talented people and our buildings, the uh, beautiful Anderson ladies, made sure that our church was safe and sound. Uh, we just appreciate everybody's efforts and everybody's work. Uh, whether we're here or not, we just thank God that you guys were on your post. Sister Picard, it's all yours, Pastor sweet. Pastor Will, Pastor Will. Brother Tim. All right, slow and fast. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, we... Uh, Oh, hopefully we're gonna get we we need right on this song. Um, <laughs> all right, yeah, we'll do. Uh, just check this. Are we in D minor? Oh, I'm sorry. Or it is in, uh, uh, a, uh, D minor. D yep. minor. Okay. Mm -hmm. 